Hello, we're delighted to have Jerry McKenna on the podcast this week. Jerry has worked in the software industry since he graduated, both internationally and in Ireland. But he's probably best known for being the CEO of Logic Aldiscon during the fast growth days. What's very interesting about Jerry's story are his reflections on the changes in the software industry in Ireland from the days of emigration to the current maturity and sophistication of the industry. Jerry grew up in Monaghan near the border and he tells how that situation affected everybody's outlook and how, with the peace process and the single market, the national introversion turned to an extroversion and growth of confidence. Jerry has a lot of fun and interesting stories about the growth of Aldiscon Logica and there's one in particular I definitely know you'll find amazing. Jerry is currently CEO of Cation and they are a provider of, as he says, the best chatbot available for customer service. Thanks to Jerry for being a great guest and in the scope of his career he shows how things have turned out for the better for the industry and the country. Um, I know you're going to really enjoy this podcast. It's a tough competitive business to drive telecom sales. But now there is a new channel that is making all the difference for innovative companies. That's the Digital Sales Channel. At Netzer, we are the leading digital sales channel provider for telecoms companies. Our customers can testify to our ability to listen and implement solutions that work for them. If you are a mobile operator, an MVNO or an eSIM provider, We'd like to understand your business issues and work with you to drive your sales. Contact pat.flynn at netzer.com and we can talk. Welcome to the podcast. I'm absolutely delighted to have Jerry McKenna on, and Jerry is CEO of Cation Consulting. Did I get that right, Jerry? Yeah, Cation Consulting, that's it. Right, but uh, anybody who knows Jerry knows there's a lot more to it than this, and Jerry's been in the Irish technology business and in international technology business for a good few years. Um, chiefly, or probably his best-known role will be as CEO of Logic Aldiscon during its heyday. Now, We've talked with a number of people from Logic Aldisk in the past, and we will obviously talk about that. But we're, we want to talk about a bigger subject, which is the development in maturity and confidence of the Irish technology in the industry over our careers and the effect it's had on the Irish economy and also all the people involved. So anyway, look, Jerry, that's the setup. So look, welcome uh, to the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Pat. Thanks for uh, inviting me on. Looking forward to chatting with you. Right. So look, let's let's go back to it. Like we, at one stage, both of us were green young engineers with the stars in our eyes and a plane ticket in our hand. Now, maybe you'll explain to everyone today who every engineer today who can get a job anywhere they want, why we all had to get a plane ticket in our hand back in the, the 80s. Yeah, well, I mean, back in the 80s, you know, um, I suppose Ireland was fairly much a basket case, you know, economically. <laughs> and uh, I guess, I mean, one saving grace was that 
previous governments had put a lot of investment into education from the 60s, including the free education. Mm. And I guess our generation benefited from that. Um, and we got, you know, primary education, secondary education. And luckily, I got a grant to go to college. Otherwise, it <laughs> happened. <laughs> yeah, that so, wasn't one of those farming grants, was it? Was it? No, no, we didn't have a farm. <laughs> we, <laughs> even coming from a rural community, we didn't even have a farm. My, my, my father um, worked in the local factory and my mother raised eight of us. So we were typical of a community on the border in Monaghan, on the border of Monaghan and Tyrone, my father. Uh, was from Tyrone and we, we were brought up in Monaghan and um, so you know that was the background we got our local county council grant uh, and, and got to college a couple of us out of the family so yeah. um, that, that know, was a big the big thing back then because huge, people huge. didn't go to college uh, the way it, they go it was the different it was the difference between you know going and not going and maybe you know working in a local factory my father worked in the same factory for 50 years mm-hmm. so you know and not that there's anything wrong with that, people had to do it, but we did get a stepping stone and an opportunity to, with through the free education system, to be allowed to change that, you know? So yeah. we have to be thankful for on that, you know? And you, as, sorry, Jerry, you mentioned there at the border, and just to set it up, this came into our conversation was the impact of the border on you growing up, um, both economically and maybe in your attitude. Would you, could you say a little bit about that? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, something legal, Jerry. Where we lived, we were about uh, three kilometers from, from the, the closest point to the border. And our, actually, our primary school was at that point a place called Killerain. And on the other side, you had uh, uh, the crossing Knockaguinea, and then you had Bala Bridge. They were two crossings that we used to go, well, not so much Knockaguinea because it, it was dangerous. It was only half open because the road had subsided. But um, Ballabridge we used, and my family's home case was on the other side of the border. So up until we were about 10, I was 10 years of age, you could cross that, no problem, and visit your relations and all of that, aunts, uncles, cousins. But in around 72, all those roads were closed, which meant that we were cut off at that mm-hmm. point for where we lived uh, in, uh, in, in, into Northern Ireland. And suddenly you had a change of, you know, you had to start looking south you know, because people would have gone to college even in the north. Um, mm-hmm. Now, you, you were starting to look to, towards Dublin. Um, even though the major routes were still open, if you wanted to travel in through Ochtaclaw or Middletown, it was, you know, you could be held there for an hour just to go over and get a pint of milk, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, so, Everybody so, started this, looking south, you know. And for the international audience, the, uh, they may be aware of the Irish Troubles, which um, finished about 20 years ago in terms of, of violence, but the border is was a, se- a seminal part of it because it literally is a physical and psychological border in Ireland. And it occupied a lot of our younger lives in terms of energy and thoughts and so on. But you, so you, you went to DCU, you, you got yeah. your engineering degree or your, your maths degree or whatever, and yeah. y- you finished up. And what, what happened yeah, and, next year? And, and, and like, probably like yourself and like a lot of us, we came out and thought, oh my God, I've got four years, I'm a qualified engineer. Now I'll get a job and no jobs, you know, yeah. or a very few jobs that, you know, a, a, a select few got and fair play to them for getting them, you know. But uh, we, we ended up, uh, hundreds of us, thousands of us, I would say, mm-hmm. from, from uh, 83, 84, 85 on through to the, the early 90s, uh, getting on a plane. I got my first job in Germany um, uh, beside Wiesbaden, and uh, I worked there for a year, and then I got a, applied for a job in Holland. 
and uh, I got a job there with Phillips in Eindhoven and there was hundreds of Irish, English, Scots, uh, you know, uh, South American, all nationalities. And this was like a massive change from coming from sort of a border area, home sort of, uh, you know, uh, uh, culture. Dublin, Dublin was one foreign people around and suddenly you were landed in this and this was just fantastic. You know, it was just amazing. Suddenly, you know, uh, you really felt alive. You felt that, oh my God, this this great opportunity here, you know? Yeah, yeah. For somebody that's, you know, you're 21 at the time, the, it was just incredible. And and to work into work on projects that were, you know, staffed by 100, 200 people working on big projects. I, I was lucky enough to uh, get on the uh, design of car navigation systems, you know, for uh, big brands like uh, BMW and Renault. So you can imagine working on a project like that first time and learning your skill, getting trained uh, type of yeah. project, you know, and uh, it's just an incredible experience, you know. Yeah, that's what I noticed too, Jerry, when I went abroad was I was shocked uh, in, in terms of my career, like the scope, these big companies, I worked for General Electric in America, these big companies, like their, their, their vision, their reach, the technology, the, the sophistication of the business. It was an eye-opener for, for me, and I'm sure you too. Absolutely. And I mean, just the process of uh, learning, you know, from the concept to design to, you know, implementation to test to go live. The, the method now is, is archaic, but <laughs> at that time, uh, you know, because everything is done in agile and sprint now. But I mean, back then, that, that was the way to do things, you know. Um, and that's how you you build your systems. Um, sure. And, you know, that's how we built all our systems for telco, even afterwards, uh, even in Aldiscon, you know? Um, yeah, so... So, uh, so, um, so you came back to Ireland, Jerry. Uh, after you, had, you had a great experience there, and you came back to Ireland, and you were looking for a job. Yeah, so, I mean, in, I spent four years then in Holland, and, you know, I had this view was... I, I can stay in Holland and everything, believe it or not, was really easy. There was no reason to leave. <laughs> Absolutely no reason to leave other than sort of being Irish and uh, not, not being homesick, but wanting to go back. And is there any, is there anything that I, we can do here to sort of, you know, there are any jobs going, can we help out? Can I get involved in some? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there was, there was a, a sort of green shoots coming along showing that Ireland was starting to make a move in, in about 1990. So I just packed up the job in Holland and left. And I came and I, I walked the streets of uh, Dublin, handing in my CV. And eventually, uh, through various contexts, I think through, um, oh, God, I can't think of the guy's name. Uh, he was a recruitment guy. He introduced me to Gilbert and Gilbert Little and Joe Cunningham and Aldous Gunn. He said, these guys should talk to them. They're interesting. And I, through my uh, projects in Holland, had been trained up on, on Unix and C. And they just happened to be looking for people at that time as it was starting uh, to come in here as an underlying technology, mm-hmm. uh, an operating system uh, and coding. And uh, I knew a bit about it, so I got hired, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, that was the kind of start of it. And it was all based on on services for uh, telecoms companies. And uh, so we basically shipped ourselves out into various organizations and contracted ourselves out uh, mm-hmm. developing software and solutions in these areas. That's how, yeah. how it started for me. Yeah. And, and Unix and C were just coming in that time. Yeah. We know it better today as Linux, uh, you know, in practice or Red Hat, um, yeah. 
but but that was a change, a big change in technology from proprietary uh, operating systems, open operating systems. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I had previously worked in that project in Holland. Had worked on Vax VMS, porting it to Altrix, and then onto OS nine. And uh, then when they decided to move the whole project to Unix, over fifty percent of the people on the team left because they said <laughs> um, Unix will never replace VMS. <laughs> so I got I got I got about three years out of that because half the team left. You know, <laughs> so uh, it was it was great then to be uh, you know to come into Ireland and suddenly see that these um, that these skills were needed. And uh, I was very, very lucky, you know, just to be the right place at the right time. Yeah, I mean, it really was an amazing time. And we're using Aldiscon as a sort of an example, uh, mainly because like, you were the heart of it, um, an example of how the confidence and the sophistication of the Irish software industry changed and, and took a global scope. Um, and you, were, you had some great stories. So, I mean, you're in the middle of it. And uh, I think Joe and uh, maybe Gilbert and a few others came up with the idea of doing an SMSC. Yeah, um, that was mainly that was you know from Joe and Gilbert and that the the management team. Then I was basically in there as a software engineer working on the services side for a couple of years, and I suppose the services side in one sense was funding the, the product development. Mm-hmm. And um, you know for a long time we struggled at it, uh, even at the services side because the the, the uh, transition I suppose from fixed line to mobile was going on at the time as well. So procurement and uh, all of that was was kind of tricky at the time, um, and you know whether projects would go ahead, whether network whether it get licenses or whether they would you know be able to roll them out, get funding. So there was a lot of uncertainty. But I mean, we all just I suppose we were young enough not to care, you know, <laughs> and keep at it, and uh, just tenacity and making and just trying to come up continuously with ideas that um, would would uh, take a product like SMS. Uh, into market, you know. I mean, like, networks didn't even allow messaging between each other as it evolved. Um, mm-hmm. There was there was no such thing as mobile originated messaging, and we um, th- th- there was an office set up in the US run by Bob Geith, and that time like, there was CDMA, TDMA, there's GSM hadn't even arrived there, so we were trying to build systems for that. So like we, we didn't we didn't give up. We we kept going mm-hmm. and going. And yeah. uh, when we were talking before, uh, Jerry, you were saying that there was a huge amount of creativity in Aldiscon that impressed you. And it was was it related was it related to this confidence or this ambition and the youth of the the staff. Yeah, well, I mean, like nearly everybody that was uh, brought in, um, you know, even you know, for example, like Joe, Joe had worked uh, abroad in uh, in the UK, and I mean, technically, you know, he's probably five steps ahead of everybody else. <laughs> and uh, the the idea is there, and being in that environment where you've got people like that, you know, Neil O'Shea and all those guys were in there, and people bouncing ideas off each other um the, the 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 gsm environment starting off we were always trying to figure out how, how how do we get more and more messages through this platform because you know the more messages that get through the more people that use it mm-hmm. and it was funny like to see like we created all sorts of applications um ideas to try and put messaging through it but really at the end of the day it was the kids that when they got their hands on the handset they just use text messaging to communicate with each other. The combination of that and the introduction of prepaid just yeah. blew the systems out of the water. You know? yeah, it just goes to show the best paid product managers don't know what they're doing. 
<laughs> I cleared myself in that regard. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. You know, uh, <laughs> it was a sort of it was a case of build build what people will buy rather than what you think they want. You know, <laughs> I know, I know. I sort of figured that out. It took me a long time to figure that one out, Jerry. To be honest, but anyway, yeah, uh, there was a lot of stuff I built that I enjoyed building, but well, still yeah. on the shelf somewhere. But yeah. then you were in the go-go days and you you were in charge of like, it was probably like a beehive, to be honest. Loads of activity, uh, people coming in, uh, customers calling up, the rollout of networks. How was that? That, that must have been a, 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 a really tough job. This podcast is sponsored by Netzer, the leader in digital sales channels for telecoms. Thank you for listening to our amazing innovators tell their stories. Yeah, I mean, we all had to evolve into sort of roles that we weren't trained for, you know, <laughs> uh, that we basically learned on the job. And uh, I don't think that would happen as much today because um, there's a lot more money around, a lot more financing to finance companies and that. But, it, you know, we basically just rolled up the sleeves and did it. And, you know, every six months you had a new job and your team was bigger. And I mean, you know, we, we had teams like procurement, uh, Carl Free working there, finance, Paul Tierney coming on board, sales, Mehran coming on board. Yeah. And it it just grew and everybody had to sort of wrap their arms uh, around the team and, and take it to do what it had to do. And I ended up in the operations side, which is really the responsibility for the rollout and deployment of all the platforms and keeping them running and on, on a team on call 24 by 7. You know, that's that's where mm-hmm. I ended up. Probably because I, I took it on board. I like solving problems and stuff like that. Um, although um, I probably created more problems for <laughs> for, for engineering. <laughs> well, no, I have to say <laughs> something. <laughs> when we were talking earlier, Jerry, you I asked you what your biggest strength was, and I'll repeat it here because you might be too shy to say it. But anyway, uh, you said my strength is solving problems. I listen to everybody and roll out a solution. And to be honest, I I think that's true because I that was my feeling about you was you were a pragmatic leader. Um, you gave everyone a, a say, and then you said, okay, lads, what we're going to do is this, and it got solved. And I remember there was some, we're going to go into detail, there were some projects that were in trouble, and you just took them over and made them work in each market. Yeah, but I, I was really only able to do that because of the people that were around me. Mm-hmm. You had all the different groups, just fantastic people that, um, you know, just wanted it to succeed as well. So like project managers, procurement, uh, finance. I, I interfaced with everybody, sales, engineering, and uh, everybody just wanted to get, solve problems and fix them and, and add new features to the product and, and, and see it out there and, and see its impact on society. Mm-hmm. Like, one of the things that I remember most, most was when the text mission came out first. The, you don't think about these things, but the impact it had on uh, the, 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 the deaf community was huge because now they could actually communicate. Uh, all they had to have was a mobile and text each other and communicate with each other. Yeah. And that, that, that was something that, you know, we hadn't even thought about at the time. You know? uh, so yeah. you, you're getting a, a, you know, a cohort that was probably isolated when the mobile phones came on and suddenly person to person messaging enabled that communication. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's like, and I work with a deaf charity I mentioned to you. So like, I, I totally understand the importance of text for the deaf. There's a few, you had a few stories about the go-go days. You're, you had this idea, you were saying like you, someone walked into Aldiscon, they were given a, a product brochure, they were told to fly somewhere, they had to learn it on the flight. And when they got to the far end, there was a 300 page fax of an RFP that they had to bring to the, correct and bring to the customer. Yeah, I mean, the, the, <laughs> everything, all, all the sort of RFPs were paper-based and sent by fax. And uh, 
they um, they were carved up then and got your section and you did it on on the flight you did it when you <laughs> came back to the hotel at night you faxed it back and uh, the you know it's incredible you know i i, I, re- I remember being um in um oh i think it was at in in uh customer not a, no it was, a, it was a convention in las vegas and um i was involved in, this, in that situation where you know you get the, the dial up and you're sending these documents and whatever and uh, I, I, f- I forgot to disconnect the line. And when I was checking out, I had $11,000 bill. $11,000. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I had to use my border negotiation skills to get them done. <laughs> so it, it took a long time, but I got it down to a couple of grand. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, it seems insane now when you, you describe it that way. But uh, that was those were the days. I mean, the, there was no email attachments that you could easily... <laughs> sound universally yes. yeah i was looking there I, I have business cards still old business cards from people and actually no email address on them <laughs> uh, it, was, it just seems strange but well, uh, you, you had a great story too about uh, going to beirut and um you used to, to i guess to talk to one of the operators and the hezbollah hq which was near the airport was was blown up tell us a bit about that yeah but by the time we got on the plane and arrived in beirut the the uh, Israelis had attacked the HQ, uh, which I, I don't think was too far near enough to the airport, uh, because you could see like that there was a lot of smoke in that when we arrived in the airport, and um, I don't know if there was damage to the airport, but they didn't close the airport down. We arrived and and um, everything was fine, and uh, myself and a colleague, and, uh, we <laughs> arrived, and his his uh, suitcase didn't turn up, and uh, so we had a it was a three or four day trip. And uh, arrived at the hotel, all his suits, everything, shirts, the whole lot. I was lucky. I had two suits and probably two shirts. With me. So <laughs> I, I had to give him one of, my, one of my suits and shirts for the three days. And the, the luggage actually didn't turn up until um, we, we, we came back to the airport and we were brought in uh, to, like it was a, a military HQ beside the airport. And uh, we walked this corridor. It was, you know, sentries all along at different doors. And we went down, big door at the end. And there's this kind of like a general in uniform sitting at a desk and there's the suitcase sitting at his desk, you know, and we picked it up and we were taken back. We actually sold uh, systems to both sides that, that on those three days <laughs> to the two different uh, factions in Beirut. So that was great. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing stuff. Yeah. Anyway, look, Jerry, that's a great description of the Aldiscon days. What project are you working on now? It sounds pretty interesting when we were talking about it. Yeah, I mean, we, we're uh, we're basically working on uh, sort of conversational AI, which is sort of the modern day chatbot that has a bit of humanity to it. And um, <laughs> so uh, we we started the company in 2017, and uh, our our big customers, Ryan, are we've we've um, and we've one two three and Insurance, which is an RSA company, companies of that Communicore in the UK. We do a lot of voice stuff on on. Alexa and Google, but the likes of Ryanair are using our platform for all their um, web chats. Uh, Conversational AI would be handling thousands of conversations every day in seven languages and uh, just automating that whole interface. And, you know, you can imagine that exploded during COVID <laughs> with yeah. all the refunds yeah. and stuff that were required. So, uh, yeah, and I mean, we're, we're actively rolling that out um, around uh, Europe and, and the globe at the moment. So, yeah, it's exciting <laughs> times, you know. How good is that AI? Is it fairly? It's the best. Smooth? It's the well, okay, good man. <laughs> <laughs> right answer. <laughs> um, 
we we base everything on it's all based on AWS serverless AWS. It's yeah. all 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 sort of Lex SageMaker, all that uh, underlying uh, microservices and 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 uh, technology, um, all cloud based. And um, yeah, I mean, pick a platform in these scenarios, and we we went with AWS because of the openness of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you know the, the fact that um, you can just basically kick off an application, you can test something very quickly, um, and and you can go live with it very quickly. It's a very quick time to market with it, and and I mean it suits us. We 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 like it as a platform, you know. It's it's um, a great example of scaling though. Like uh, without yeah, if, if back you say back in the eighties or nineties, you'd have to buy a ton of hardware at this stage. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, when I think, you know, when we went from one message a second to two messages a second in SMS, it was, it was a huge achievement. <laughs> here, here all you do is it's all elastic license based. Mm. So you, you just pay for what you use. And if you have a demand, then the elasticity grows with it. And then it it, 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 it rolls back again. So, you're, you're, um, you're making a joke earlier. You said this is probably the first time you sold into Ireland. <laughs> That says yeah. it all, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, Gone, I don't think I was ever involved in a sale in Ireland when it was in Gone. Everything, it was Australia, New Zealand, it was Asia. You had Paul Rogers on before Asia, uh, Philip Green in, in Japan. We had Bob Geith and Phil O'Neill, Trina Milan and Gus Collins and all the guys in the US. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alan Cole in South America. We... It was and and then the the European office, which was run out of here. So you know we were uh, selling into every other market other than Ireland. You know Ireland was just where we lived. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was basically it. You know. Well, I, I mean, I think it's a great example. What we when we started out the podcast, we were saying that this is a um, we're talking about this in the context of the growth of the maturity of the Irish software industry, and you've sort of encompasses encompasses all the way up to this product, which is like all virtual. It's got global ambition. It's got great scalability. Uh, and, you know, that sort of stuff didn't exist back in the 80s. No. And, I mean, the, the evolution, what you had was you'd always got this thing of, of VMS, uh, Unix came out, oh, we can't go to Unix. Unix came out, oh, we can't go to Linux. You know, it was mm-hmm. always, whereas now that's that's pretty much gone. And uh, I even see now, like, um, we we had to, we we all grew through that sort of evolution of technologies, and if you look even now at our own kids, I've two kids, one in college, one doing a, uh, both in college, and all working from home. Uh, um, actually, all on calls like this, um, you know, that just wouldn't have been possible back then. And uh, the, the the fact now that you know everything we did in the nineties in dealing with the customer, you pretty much got on a flight. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, absolutely. You know, we were constantly in the air going around the world uh, talking to customers. And now we can do it from you can do it from your own sitting room, you know. Yeah. And, and when, the, when the engineers and the programmers graduate from college, they're already thinking worldwide. They're not yeah. just thinking of Ireland and the UK market or wherever. It's an automatic yeah. assumption. They're going worldwide. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, the you know it's it's uh, and at least they have the choice. They have the choice mm-hmm. now that you can decide that you probably can get a job in Ireland, or you can get it. You can work abroad. That that choice is there, uh, which is a big change from uh, our generation. You know, so absolutely, yeah, it's amazing. I can see it in my own sons too. They're yeah, they're just they're in confidence and their global outlook is is incredible. And that's that's to me, it, it goes from the. We're using the border. The border opened up during that period, and unfortunately, I think it might be closing down a bit. But that 
people began to focus internationally. They weren't focused internally. I mean, yeah. you've, you've seen that in your life, you know? Yeah, I mean, and the, the biggest disappointment for me now would be if, if after, you know, 20 years of the border opening, having lived with it closed for like 30 years, that there would even be any thing mm. put in, in the way of that freedom again. That would just be, it would just, you know, mentally, I think as well, psychologically, it sets, it sets us back, sets yeah. us back 30, 40 years. It just doesn't well, yeah, be I, thinking about, you know? Yeah, well, so Jerry, I, I don't think, um, I think, you know, you might notice it more because of your proximity to it and, you know, having understood the influence of it even in your own life. But I can say, like, say, just the energy and the political focus on this problem that was solved, shall we say, in a certain way. And now it's come back to haunt us. And it's Ireland is bigger than, I hope, I believe Ireland is bigger than that issue. Like, we, we should, like, we all wish we can get on. But it's it's just, we should, when both parts of Ireland were looking abroad uh, for the bigger context, I think it was, that's the sort of Ireland we want to get back to. Yeah, and I guess the difference is now, though, that at least the problems that are there, whether it's the Northern Ireland Protocol, there's discussions going on to actually try and resolve them. You know, that's the first thing that is attempted now, rather than resorting to knocking each other and then uh, going to violence. So that's a, that's a, that's a big, big um, change, which is very welcome as well, you know. It is, yeah. And anyway, Jerry, it's been brilliant having you on it. And um, I, I mean, I think when we were talking about this, it was just the scope of your career, both in terms of geography, time, and technology, which uh, and your your management um, skills. But so on this podcast, the guest nominates a playout song. So what, what are we having? Well, uh, you don't mind if I talk a little bit about this? No, um, please, please do. Being, being brought up on, on in, in, in the border is one great thing we had when we were young was horse lips, okay? Oh, man. And then when I went to college, it was uh, Thin Lizzy, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I really wanted to um, pick something from them. But I, I, to add to the story, uh, my mother passed away in January and she was 95, okay? And when she was 93, I bought her an Alexa, Okay. And I also bought her um, a subscription to Spotify, okay? Yeah. And so that she could listen to music. She was big into music and poetry and stuff like that. But she got really hooked on one song, and she, uh, it must have been 10,000 times, I'd say. So she used to say, Alexa, um, play Raglan Road. So, oh. Pat, play Raglan Road. Great, great. Brilliant. Blue Kelly. Yeah. Kavna. The, yeah. the, best, the yeah. best words, the best voice. And a, yeah. a traditional melody, you can't, you can't beat it. Yeah, so I'll, I'll skip Horslips and, and Lizzie for this. <laughs> <laughs> Another time, Jerry. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, see ya. Good luck. On Raglan Road Of an autumn day I saw her first and anew that her dark hair would weave a snare That I might one day rule I saw the danger and I passed Along the enchanted way and I said, let grief be a fallen leaf 
at the dawning of the day on Grafton Street in November we trip lightly along the ledge of a deep ravine where can be seen the worth of passion's pledge the queen of hearts still making tarts and I'm not making hay oh I loved too much and by such, by such is happiness thrown away. I gave her gifts of the mind, I gave her the secret sign that's known. To the artists who have known The true gods of sound and stone And word and tint without stint I gave her poems to say With her own name and her own dark hair Like clouds over fields of May On a quiet street Where old ghosts meet I see her walking now Away from me so hurriedly my reason must allow that I had loved not as I should a creature made of clay when the angels the clay he'd lose His wings at the dawn of